This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, I am joined by Damon Lemby. I didn't have his press release up, so I didn't know his name there for a second, um, because I have it together. He's the author of a new book called The Learn It All Leader. Um, He's the CEO of LearnIt.com, and it is a guide on how to become a great leader. We have done leadership stuff in the past. We have not done one in a while, so it's very fortuitous that he is here because we have not talked about business leadership in a hot minute. So we're going to welcome him to the podcast and find out how to become a good leader. So welcome to the Cameron Journal Podcast. Cameron, nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. Of course. Now, why don't you uh, start from the beginning and tell us about your book and why you wrote it. Great. So my book's called The Learn It All Leader. And really what inspired me to write it was two things. One, I really want to help individuals who are either looking to become leaders or maybe in a leadership position and looking to evolve their skills and upskill themselves. The uh, And I think I have a unique perspective on it in the sense that I was fortunate growing up to play for three uh, Hall of Fame baseball coaches. And I really took what I learned from them and tried to implement it in uh, over the last 28 years here at Learn It, and uh, both from my struggles and some of the successes I had. So that was one of the inspirations. The other is, excuse me, I have two little kids, uh, Lucy, who's five, and Walter, Wally, who's two, and neither of them got the opportunity to meet my dad. He passed away about 12 years um, ago. And I really wanted them to learn more about him and how he influenced and what an impact, positive impact he had on not just me, but thousands of others who've come through Learn It, which was his creation, his idea. So that's really what inspired me to write the book. Yes, I have. I am curious about that baseball connection because Um, People always talk about, you know, oh, sports teams and military and all this type of thing and, you know, and developing leadership, which always seems to be a very nebulous sort of thing. And um, and and all these things that, you know, make people who do these things such good leaders and all this type of thing. As someone who has all the the uh, athletic talent of a brick and um, and who. Uh, is not a joiner of things and who was never picked to be on a team of anything, um, wouldn't be selected for the Voyage of the Damned. Um, What do you think are the top three things that I missed out by having never joined a sports team in my entire life? Well, I'll get to that, but I 
did do a little research on you and I, and I saw that you, you played the flute and, and have done a bunch of other things. So I think we all That's have, true. I think we all have our past experiences that we can. I have no athletic talent. I was in the theater and the performing arts doing classical music and producing musicals and all that type of thing and doing fashion, which I mean, one can say a theater is a team because it does take it is. a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So many people to make that happen. Yeah, no, I, I really think it is. And, um, I think to answer your question around what I feel like I learned from sports that I was able to translate into the business world is playing sports, and I'm sure like theater too, is you learn about collaboration, teamwork, and also discipline. You have to be disciplined and resilience. I mean, it takes courage to get out there and play sports and fail. You know, in baseball, you fail seven out of 10 times and you're a, you're a superstar. And so I'm sure you experience that, whether you're trying to pitch a, a play when you're writing music or whatever it is you're doing and you have to deal with no. And so I think that that's one of the, those are the different traits that it takes that, that I've learned that I've been able to carry over into um, my um, professional career. Yeah, it's, um, no, I, I think there is, is something to that. Um, what do you, what is it, what do you find from that experience helps you with, um, you know, dealing with, dealing with people in all sorts of situations, hiring, firing, all this type of thing? What I really learned, and I, and I talk about this a little bit in my book, is I've been very fortunate over the years to work with some incredibly talented and smart people, several of which are a lot smarter than me. And what I learned was uh, to create a great team. First, you got to go out and find the talent. You know, where do you where do you find them? And then you next want to figure out what their strengths are. And and then after you figure out their strengths, then kind of focus them in the direction of what they uh, what they're both best at and passionate about. And I learned that from sports. A lot of times I, there would be guys on my team and maybe they came in, if you're a baseball fan and they came in as a third baseman, but they ended up being better on the team as a catcher or even a pitcher. So I think it all starts with uh, finding great talent and then cultivating that talent and having them, helping them develop over the years. Yes. Um, yeah. That's, we don't see a lot of long-term development in the business world anymore that has really all kind of been shoved off to employees to do on their own which i suppose is good news for your business <laughs> but yeah um do you think businesses are missing out by not developing people over time and just kind of moving them out and bringing new faces in absolutely i think i think that's a good point i mean if you look at, and I think the newer generations, the Gen Z and the millennials, they're actually demanding to, uh, for their organizations to invest in them. And even Cameron, during tough times like right now, where you know there's a lot of uncertainty and there's layoffs, I think that it's critical for organizations to invest in their team because you, just because you have less people, you still have the same work that needs to be done. So you need to cross skill reskill employees and you got to keep them motivated and if, if people feel like they're on a sinking ship and they're not being invested in you're going to lose great talent and think about the cost associated with losing somebody who's really productive and, and doing well at your your job because they left and they went to a different organization so i think that it's pretty short-sighted for organizations um to not invest in their team 
and and <clears throat> I agree. And people, you know, people say that. And yet, and yet, we see it so little now. I mean, that's one of the top things people ask for besides more money is promotional and learning opportunities. And that just seems to be just so so rare now. Why do you think that is? Well, I think I think that a lot of times organizations are are tight with their budgets and you know concerned about um, keeping their their cash flow and being able to make payrolls in all sides of organizations. And you'd be surprised. And what you said is true. I think people, even these days, ask more for professional development sometimes than an increase in pay. A lot of the organizations come to us when they and they say. Hey, you know what? We just did a pulse survey on on how our team's doing, and the number one thing, the number two thing they ask for are more personal development opportunities. So it is uh, it is a challenge. It's also, you know, whether it's internal, um, whether they're doing it in house or external, it is a hundred and sixty billion dollar a year um, industry. So there there are a lot of organizations out there who see the value it's just the, the they're the ones who tend to be more successful i think in being able to reduce the attrition rate that we've seen companies having out there so i mean i think it's it's an easy less expensive way to keep great talent to spend x amount on per employee a year than it is to continually go out and hire new talent yes well i, I think now with the labor shortage companies are starting to they're starting to get kind of get forced into developing people and not just chucking them out the out the door as soon as they get too expensive or demand too much or oh let's cycle this whole department because the cost of labor has gone up too much i think now with the labor shortage that has a lot less appeal i agree i, th I think that uh you know and also giving somebody you know spending fifteen hundred dollars a year or twelve hundred whatever the the average is um in motivating an employee and, and helping them build their professional skills and uh is a lot less you know a lot less expensive than it is um going out and finding somebody new or having to give them a 10 percent raise so again i think it's just short-sighted for organizations who don't um put that at the forefront of their uh you know maybe their core values or what's best for their organization Mm, indeed. Well, on on that cheery note, why don't you tell us a little bit about Learn It? What do you guys do? What's your raison d'être? Thank you. So, Learn It, we're a corporate training company, um, and we help customers. Customers turn to us when they're just like we were talking about when they're struggling with attrition, um, and or if they're uh, helping, uh, they want to help. They need help in advanced. Technology. So, for instance, if they're if they're rolling out Office 365 or Google Suite, and they want to make employees more efficient using technology, and we help them through. We have a broad catalog of soft skills and um, end user type training that we do both virtually and an on demand library. That uh, and we help build them, um, let's say, training plans and and go from there. Design personal learning that that helps upskill their employees. Very nice. And you said you guys have been doing that for 28 years. 28 years. Yes. Where did your dad come up with this idea? Good question. So back in the 90s, in the early 2000s, we were uh, a large real estate company, and he was looking for a way to track his 
portfolio digitally. And so he went and he took a class somewhere at one of the large, one of the larger uh, computer training companies. And it was all day long, Cameron. It was boring. It was kind of, you know, stiff instructor leading, reading from a uh, manual. And, you know, he brought one of my sisters, Chelsea, and about two hours into the class, he said, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. So he, uh, at the break, they left. And like what a lot of great entrepreneurs do, he called up a, a gentleman that he used to work with and said, I want to create, you know, this is 1994. He's like, I think computers are exciting. Uh, I, I'd like to have magicians teach the class or comedians and, and have an environment that is more engaging and make it inexpensive so anybody could come take classes. And that's really where the idea of Learn It was born. And I just happened to be, uh, my baseball career was ending and I was kind of like, well, I got to figure out something to do. And I was a little nervous going into the work world. So I started off there when we opened our doors in 95 as a uh, receptionist. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I taught classes and did sales. And eventually when the old CEO moved on about five and a half years later, I threw my hat in the ring and I've been running Learn It ever since. Very nice. Very nice. What is, um, how's the, how's the, how's business? How's the environment right now? What are people asking for? I think what a lot of people are asking for things have obviously shifted a lot since the, uh, the pandemic and you're welcome to, if you ever want to take a free class, let me know, or somebody in your audience, if they're, if they're interested, just hit me up and uh, give you a free virtual class. I think what a lot of people are interested in these days are the, the skills that, well, I mean, if you look at the top skills of what's come out in the World Economic Forum is skills that can't be replaced by AI uh, or not at least in the, in the near future. So they're looking at, you know, how to become more adaptive or creative thinking, problem solving. Those are those are all really popular uh, subjects and topics right now that people are looking in for. And you'll be surprised. People always are. Microsoft Excel. We run our Excel classes every week and they and they sell out just to how to build pivot tables. So it's kind of across the board, um, but those are those are typically the the skills that most companies uh, are coming to us and asking about. Interesting. Er, turning back to the leadership idea, um, what has been the hardest part about running Learn It? I think the hardest part about running, well, the best part, let's start off with the best, the best part about running Learn It, I think, is being able to work with such a great group of individuals over the years and um, and just getting to learn and grow. And and that's been the best part. I think the hardest part of, of running Learn It is, you know, we've had we've had to, we've had to been through three separate recessions, really, back starting with the dot com all the way through the the Great Recession and the beginning of the pandemic. And so the hardest part sometimes is to make difficult choices, whether that's staff reductions, pay reductions, whatever it is that, that you have to do to um, to to make it through. So th that's probably the toughest. But overall, um, I've really enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed um, all the individuals that don't just work at Learn It, but also the ones who uh, are customers. Yeah. Speaking of the of leadership in the pandemic, what was your biggest challenge with leading your team through the pandemic? Well, the biggest challenge of leading our team through the pandemic, fortunately for us, we were already a we had a large office in San Francisco. But we were um, we already had the ability to work from home. I saw the value in that, and so it was first. It was moving everybody remote 
and keeping everybody engaged at the same level. I think we did a, I think we do a good job um, getting together in person um, before and, you know, having team building events and, and doing our own internal trainings at first, you know, everybody was scared, didn't know what was going on. It was really, really tough. And so it was, how are we going to keep everybody engaged and motivated during this transition? And on top of it, most of our clients who did in-person training, it took them a while to understand that, hey, we're not going back into the office. And if you are going to continue to develop your team, you're going to have to find a way to run classes virtually for everything from how to have a difficult conversation or uh, to give feedback. So it was one, figuring out how to keep our team engaged and, and, and lead them through really uncertain times. And two, with our customers, it was getting them not to, you know, ask for refunds or drop everything and give asking them to give us an opportunity to show that we can deliver high level quality training virtually. Yes. And that, I mean, I can, I'm sure that that has been a whole new education for customers, especially in totally, you know, and a lot of resistance, I would imagine um from people as well have you guys gone back into the office are you doing hybrid what are you guys doing we're doing we're doing hybrid you know both for our customers and for ourselves it's interesting you know we live you know we were headquartered in san francisco which is as i'm sure you're aware a very expensive uh area to live in and so i gave my team the opportunity if they wanted to move they could without right sizing their salaries or anything and I would say most of our, a lot of our staff moved. And, and so they, they're now distributed throughout the uh, United States and even in Canada and other places. And so that, um, that was a big change. And so now I, we've got a small little office in, in the Bay Area and also a small one in San Diego. And uh, we're just happened a bunch of people move down there. So we conjugate there every once in a while. Um, for the most part, it's trying to keep everybody engaged. And then, you know, hopefully quarterly, we all meet up somewhere uh, as a team or different um, different departments meet up as a team to try to keep the same level of uh, engagement. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's the that's the biggest challenge with this whole, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if you see this the same way I do. I see a lot of companies with these old leadership structures not yeah. being able to manage hybrid work from home, all this type of thing. And so you have companies kind of trying to force people back into the office because they don't know what else to do. Like, what would your advice be in handling such a shift in office work in such a short period of time? Well, I'm with you on that. I I, I think that, you know, and it, it kind of comes back to you know, like my book, the learn it all mindset versus the, the know it all mindset, you know, the fixed mindset where, like you said, the old leadership way was everybody had to be back in the office. And what did that create? That created the great resignation where everybody started leaving. And now that the tables have kind of turned a little bit um, and companies are trying to force people back into the office, I think in a perfect world, I think it should be a combination of, of the two. Maybe where you come in the office a couple of days a week, if you even can. You know, if somebody moved, you know, if you're headquartered in Sacramento and you move to Los Angeles, I mean, that's not really something you can do. So I think right. a, a solid leadership team should get creative and figure out again how to how to best uh, work with the team that they have. And you got to learn to trust your team members too. If you have great employees and you give them clear direction, 
then, you know, trust that they can get the work done uh, remotely. So, I mean, I see both sides of the, I, I miss the in-person work and I love it when I, when we get together, but I also feel like I've got a solid team that can do the work remotely and has been successful and um, it cuts back on their you know, their commute into the office and keeps them motivated so they they can have the work-life balance that they need. So I think it's a it's a fine, fine line between the two. But I, I think again, you as a leader, you got to be open to what's out there and and be self-aware of what's important to your team. Yeah, I remember I had a a job several years ago now before I started this iteration of the business. And I got in trouble for taking two Fridays off by remoting in and working from home because I had a sinus infection going at the time. And that was like a oh big thing. And I'm like, I didn't really call out sick. I was working from home, but that like wasn't as valid because I wasn't in the office. And I'm kind of like, my, my, how times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> how times have changed. So... Let me ask you a question. I, I mean, I did a little research on you. You seem like you have a ton of stuff going on. Where do you find the passion to do all the different projects that you do? I mean, you're like the <laughs> ultimate learn it all guy, right? I mean, you're writing books, doing music, you know, working in all different areas. Where, where do you where do you find all the energy to do that? Well, I I I rarely do music anymore. Um, I I haven't been a serious musician since I closed my record label in 2013. Okay. Um, but uh, I still, I have the Cameron Journal, which is a publication in both print and digital podcast, and then a video and all this sort of thing. Um, I, I'm not really passionate about what I do. Um, so I, I don't look for that for for kind of my source of doing it. Um, I always, just about the time I don't feel like doing it anymore, someone will come along and tell me, oh, I really liked that piece, or that really helped me, or I really learned a lot by reading your book or whatever have you. And so I do it for the people cool. and my audience. And I, and that's kind of what what keeps me, what keeps me going. So I'm kind of like Barbara Streisand, who hates to sing. I don't really love what I do that much. Um, I would love, I would, someone was kind of like, if you could do anything, what would you need to do? I said, I would need to sleep for two years to begin answering that question. Like, yeah. if I left today, I would need to sleep until this day in 2025 before I could even answer your question. <laughs> I believe it. I so... Believe it. Yeah, because before this, I was doing fashion and nightlife. And before that, I was running a publication, doing grad school. I tell people, I'm like, I've been burnt out since about 2007. So um, it's uh, it, it's a lot in terms of everything. It energy levels. Um, I've had COVID twice. So energy levels now are tough. Yeah. Um, I think I've got a chronic fatigue issue happening now which is long, long COVID sort of thing. Um, and that is really have to have had to make me change my priorities and what I do and how I do things and the time I take off and all this type of thing. It's been a huge, a huge shift because, you know, I've always been on the go and doing 50 things and 
I can't really do that right now. So that's been tough. Yeah. Well, you got to take care of yourself. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, these last couple of years has been just a shift for everybody. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it really, it, it has been. And for, for me, like my first round of COVID, I was totally asymptomatic. And the only really sign that I had it was just terrible fatigue. And then I was just getting over that fatigue when I went to a graduation party for my MFA program. Got it and, again. Yeah, and got it again. But this time, terrible symptoms. I was miserable, all this type of thing. And so I kind of ended up back at square one. And I'm only three months out from that. So I'm I'm still early days on trying to figure out the whole fatigue thing. But it it is it is a lot. Um I rely a lot on automation because I'm a one-man show. Mm-hmm. Um so I I there's so many tools and things now. When I first started doing this in 2014 there was no tools i had to do everything by hand post on social media podcast stuff all this type of thing now so much of what i used to do is automated so it has made it more possible to grow that's that's great and i'm sure you probably share this out with your audience but i think there's so many tools out there that could help small businesses or or you know solopreneurs uh, is that if that's what you call them to help yeah. become more efficient and get things done you know i mean but people oh, have to no, have yeah. use it. Yeah, no, I mean, th- th- things like things like Zapier, which allows you to automate so much of the extra social media posting, reposting, all that type of thing has been a huge, a huge game changer. Game changer. Yeah, it's been a huge game changer. It's so different. You know, and, and even because I, I stopped, I did the business for a while, quit, closed everything, went back to work, paid off credit cards, recovered financially, all this type of thing, ended up, um getting fired for a dumb reason and um someone was like you should go back to doing your writing and everything and so i did and all that so and i was amazed even in the two and a half years i was out of the business i came back and it's like oh my god everything's so much easier now there's so many more tools people understand it people like get what i'm doing it was a completely different sort of thing so don't you feel a little bad for the the people who are writers and bloggers with uh chat gpt you think that they're going to be just wiped off? I mean, or they just they, they can <clears throat> become better. Well, I think it I think it depends on what you're doing. For example, like right now I'm developing uh three courses, one on civics, one on nonfiction writing, one on fiction writing. Um I'm sure ChatGPT could write a course on that, but it's not going to have the experience I have of here's all the things that I always wanted to know about writing. And I had to spend thousands of dollars to go to conferences and talk to people to figure this out here, conveniently packaged for you Um, sort of thing. Um, I think when I think if you need bland, generic SEO content, yes, an AI is going to be able to write that from now on. Newswire services have been written by machine for 20 years at this point. Um, so in my mind, if you are a writer and a blogger and you're writing about your things, your experience, whatever have you, there is still value there because you're developing a relationship with people. Um, if you're just cranking out generic crap that anybody could write, yeah, your job's going to get taken over by a machine. 
you know so i mean like chat gpt is nice because i can say oh summarize this author's work in five points whatever have you and it makes my job slightly easier but ultimately people come to read my work because of what i specifically have to say and ai can't replicate that not yet anyway <laughs> yeah, see, see and, and i ask because it, it's i can't tell you how many times in the last six months or three or four months people were like hey, do you think AI is going to wipe out the training industry? And I said, well, you know what? I mean, people were saying that about YouTube several years ago. Um, but at the end of the day, with the value that Learnit has to offer or other training organizations, similar to what you just said, is sure, you can go out there and you can watch anything you want or, or, or go into ChatGPT and try to create it. But I think the value that uh, organizations like mine and what the work you're talking about is the curated, personalized um, content that's, that you can create. Well, well yeah, no, also, also for me, it's like, you know, when you sign up for my course, you're also going to get to ask questions on the forum, talk mm -hmm. to other people, do some networking. I have cool handouts, Engagement. all this type. Yeah, and that you don't get that from YouTube. You're not going to get that from AI. Um, yeah, that kind of personal touch, that personal engagement is so important. In fact, I just got... Um, a professor who does he basically invented the academic study of comic books okay. um dr pete coogan and we're um i just got him to put all of his workshops and courses on my platform as well That's and awesome. <clears throat> yes and so my little you know cameron journal academy with my three courses is becoming like 20 courses i'm like i'm inventing udemy at this point but um <laughs> it's uh um it's really cool because now you can take, and this is like what Masterclass has done. You can kind of take this to people, charge them a flat fee. We're doing $90 a month, charge them a flat fee. They can access it, do it, have fun. So it's like, let's have some handouts. Let's have some cool discussion, all this type of thing, have some engagement. And I think especially in the digital environment, when you're providing that sort of thing, it's why Discord servers are so popular because you're talking to other people, you're interacting, all this type of thing. And to me, that piece of it is what people are really paying the $90 for is it's access to me or access yeah. to Dr. Coogan. Like that's what they're kind of really paying for. And I think that's, you know, the human touch will beat machine every single time. Thank you. That's I'm, I'm with you on that. It is true. There's I mean, no automatic welding at the Rolls Royce factory. There is right. at the Toyota factory, but not at the Rolls Royce factory. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I obviously it, it's a really important to, to, you know, audit and see what's going on with ChatGPT and all these AI tools. I mean, before it gets completely out of hand. But I also think that us, um, you know, the workforce, we need to learn how to work alongside it and continue to pivot and use the the skills and and you know learn and develop the skills that can't be automated out through machines. Yeah, I mean that's that. I mean it's something where it it really to me it really depends on what product you are providing. For me, I am the product to some degree. So until they invent an AI clone of my mind, I'm safer. Um, I, think, I think we're going to be safe for a while. Yes. Then then other people who are doing something, you know, who are doing something more. And this is then this is where on the journalism side, um, I think we're in for tough times ahead because it's going to be very easy for organizations to basically automate most of journalism away in terms of you can have a hand. 
Well, research not only that, but you can have a handful of people kind of just chucking in the raw data. A machine does the rest. It goes out. So what once was maybe 50 journalists can now be handled by five or 10. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see in a lot of organizations is, will the humans go away entirely? No. But what you are going to have, and per, we did this with personal computers. The Xerox machine killed the typing pool. This is a very old reference. I got to update my references. The, 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 the Xerox machine killed the typing pool. The personal computer killed hundreds of jobs, clerical jobs. We're decimated by the personal computer because one person could do what used to be a room full of people. I think AI is going to follow a similar path where you're going to have a small team of people who are able to have a huge impact. Yeah, I mean, I again, I talk about it a little bit in my book, all three. I mean, this is what the fourth uh, industrial revolution. Yeah. And if you look at the research, the first three all created more jobs than they eliminated. And, you know, maybe the same thing will happen with this one, you know? Well, I mean, I think, yes. I mean, I think, I think where, I think where the jobs are going to be created are in places where machines can't easily reach yet. Mm -hmm. um, if, and if anything, I think now's a great time to go into IT because IT infrastructure is going to be, it, 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 it's gone from cool to have, nice to have, to essential, to now it's basically the backbone of the organization. It's mm -hmm. the people keeping the machines running. You know, really. And so it's like, to me, it's like, you know, when we have not invented a machine that can wire a computer, a server rack yet, <laughs> you know, we have not, the AI kids, no help, no help to you there. Um, You know, no one's going to be, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity, AI could be incredibly helpful, but it's still going to take a human to go after threats, all this type of thing. And so I think now's a great time to go into stuff where the machines just simply haven't, haven't reached yet, you know. Now, if you are in data entry, if you are in, um, if you're in, you know, someone whose job is to kind of generate and compile reports repetitive. and all that type of thing, repetitive. Yeah, right. if you're doing repetitive office work, your days are numbered. But then they should call, yeah. learn it, and learn something new from you. That's what they should do. <laughs> I agree. Well, yes. Uh, Yes, so that's that's definitely. Are you guys planning on launching a course about AI? That's the trendy thing to do now. Well, I, you know, I I talk to our subject matter experts about it. You know, especially on the technology side, and they're uh, developing courses like how to leverage AI using Excel or how to how to leverage AI using Tableau. You know, content like that. Um, we haven't. Um, gone too far with it yet but you know we, we just want to stay uh, again stay abreast of it because you know you, you you can't ignore it you know so you got to figure out uh and you want to get in front of your customers and be able to help support them in whatever direction things are going so um at some point i think we will have content on on those types of subjects yeah i i mean i think i think it is you know it is the new it is the new thing and now that it's getting democratized and it's you know kind of available for everybody to use now it's you know it's it's something that is going to be part of our everyday lives i think Moving. like the internet yeah very much so very very much so it does it it does have a very strong 1994 moment to it the whole thing kind of you know it's like yeah, it, yeah it's like it's like oh yeah you can go you know do chat gpt it's kind of like yeah somebody also sent my parents an aol cd in the mail like you know um 
Hey, Cameron, I remember back in the day, and this is probably early 1996, we had a class called um, Necessary Net. And back then, our marketing was flyers. We'd hand out flyers on the street, you know, come take the Necessary Net class. It's over lunchtime. And for 20 bucks, you get a, a specialty sandwich and an AOL uh, CD. And, you know, people would come and it would literally be their, their their first experience with the internet, you know, make, make that sound where it dials it up and everything. And it was, oh, yeah. Uh, just yep. remember, it was crazy. People's people watching it on a, we had like a, like a, I don't know, a video screen. And it was, um, yeah, it's crazy. No, I mean, it, it's, it is, it, it is, you know, it's like, you know, people, you know, especially, you know, younger people now, it'd be kind of like, you know, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, we had to, you know, if I wanted to find out what a word meant, I had to go to a book called a dictionary and flip through to wherever it was and then like read it out of a book, you it's know, like encyclopedia, Britannica encyclopedia. Yes, which I read in its entirety when I was in grade school, um, which who would do that now? Nobody. <laughs> um, no one was doing it back then, honestly. Um, yeah, all sorts of things. Phone books, all sorts of these arcane things that just make no sense that used to be incredibly commonplace. Like Some of them, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but some of them coming back, you know? Some yeah. Back in a little, in like in the little niche markets on things. You know, for for the, for certain people, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, how we used to fun. we used to promote how even and this is 2010, 11, 12, 13, We still promoted parties and nightlife by flyers on cars. I had a team of probably 15, 20 kids go out flyering cars to get free passes into parties and clubs and all this type of thing. We were still doing it the old fashioned way. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So it's it, it was it was really weird to work in that liminal space where like social media was important, but flyering kind of still mattered, and you kind of had to like do both to you know get people to show up and all totally. this type of thing. It, yeah, and I think we're in that we're in that weird space. We're kind of all I think we're going to be getting into that weird space where AI is going to become such a part of our lives and all this type of thing, and um, and it's going to take a while to figure out what that looks like. So, especially with Web3 coming in and yep. a lot of interesting things. What is your advice to leaders in this AI transition? Because a lot of companies will do a lot of dumb stuff, trying to jam AI into everything to be cool and end up screwing it up. So what, what do you think? How, how do you think organizations should manage this liminal time? Well, uh, the fir my first recommendation is don't ignore it. You know, I, you know, there don't ignore it. I think that, uh, and then I would recommend if you have the bandwidth, have a couple people from your team explore uh, areas where they can uh, they, they can implement um, in small doses. Not not try to go for everything all at once, but like we talked about a moment ago, find some repetitive tasks that that maybe uh, that that can be um, automated. And start with that. Start with maybe something little. Maybe it's even following up on outstanding invoices. If you haven't automated that, and you'd be shocked at how many people still haven't, right? So find repetitive tasks that you can sample and, and go for. I wouldn't go with any life, you know, game changing. Uh, I, I wouldn't replace your sales team with AI or or any any <laughs> of that, any nuts, anything nuts like that, um, right. or your instructional design team. 
I would find little pockets of, of where you can make your team more efficient. And if you take somebody on your team and 25, 30% of their job is automated out, then find something you know, that basically gives them time or that department time to focus on more, uh, you know, more impactful things that, that humans can do, you know? And so that's my, really my recommendation for leaders. Don't, um, don't ignore it and don't go too far overboard, you know, take it, you know, step by step and, and get, get small wins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the things where I think AI is doing really good work is in like customer support, like help totally. desk stuff, all this type of thing. That AI does really well, actually. And people probably don't know, like Amazon, you talk to an AI before you talk to a, a person. And sometimes the AI will do solve your problem for you. Yeah, like, I was, oh. I was, I was, you uh, get your... yeah, I was having dinner with a friend the other night who's in the solar energy business. And mm. she was, she was, uh, she is uh, working uh, now at an AI company. And she said, it's incredible the, the level one, level two customer support questions that it answers. I mean, and it answers with, you know, efficiently, obviously, but also correctly, you know. So there are uh, areas like that that, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And like you said, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you're talking to people at Amazon, but you're really just talking to, to chatbot. Yeah. And sometimes it will even like, you know, do a return, do a refund. No one has to touch it. It knows what to do, get you the information, send you on your way. And I think, I think those, you know, it's like, it's one of those things, like if you don't, you know, or even in sales, like if you don't have a chatbot on your site to, you know, answer basic sales questions, answer some basic objection, objections, all this type of thing. I think there's a missed opportunity there because that's something it actually does well. And, yeah, and it, you it, can be selling at 2 a.m. That's when I shop is 2 a.m. And you yeah. can be interacting with your customers at 2 a.m. And the little bot will do the interacting for you. Cameron, it makes you, especially for a really small business, it makes you, it makes you, gives you an opportunity to scale without taking on a, a ton of um, overhead, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It gives a small guy an opportunity if, if they, if they uh, you know, the, the small business an opportunity to compete if, if, they, if they're strategic about how they do it. I guarantee the first solo business to IPO probably already exists oh yeah and it, it give it five years and it it that it probably already exists and within five years we'll find out who the lucky <laughs> the lucky person is who figured out how to put the all these tools together and all of these things and create a business that basically runs itself so it's and I, i'm sure it could happen sometime Absolutely. Well, we've reached that part of the show where we do plugs and all this type of thing. So why don't you let us know where we can find you online, where to find the book and how to keep in touch? Well, great. So my book, The Learn It All Leader, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can find it on Barnes & Noble, any of those typical channels. Uh, Learn It, uh, my main business is uh, learnit.com. And you could also find me, Damon Lemby, at uh, LinkedIn. Uh, or Instagram, but usually LinkedIn. And so, yeah, stay in touch. And and I mean it, you know, if somebody uh, hits me up for a, a free, free class, uh, all I ask is that you, uh, you show up and you send me your, your, your feedback and see how you like it, but check out my book too. I think that uh, 
It's got some good good stories, everything from uh, some baseball stories to a lot of leadership stories, and even a uh, you know you talk about the music industry, but uh, we also uh, threw a party for Guns and Roses back in two thousand six, which I is, which I talk about in my. Uh, decision-making chapter so <laughs> yes yes no that's that's quite perfect well thank you so much for coming on the cameron journal podcast cameron thanks for having me and, and good luck to the rest of your day That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.